welcome to a rare 2020 episode. Okay. You know, one where we actually record in the same room. Oh, yes. Restrictions have been somewhat lifted, and we just had to record today. Duh. Well, the masks are off, and the gloves are coming on. Hang on tight, disorderly tribe. It's going to be an emotionally tough one. As most of you already know, we live in South Florida. The news of Alejandro's death has shaken up our community to the core. In case you aren't aware, for some odd reason, we are referencing the case of a nine-year-old boy in our area who was drowned by his mother, who has now been charged with murder. And exhale. Where to even begin? So, Brent, tell me where you were, what you were up to when you first heard the news of a boy who was abducted, air quotes. Oh, yeah, that thing. Um, I think I was just scrolling Facebook um, very late at night where there had been, people were complaining about an Amber Alert. Oh, that, I know what it was. No, it was Twitter. I lie. People were complaining about the Amber Alert coming in so late on the TV, but not on their phones. So okay. I guess people were just, they just had the TV on and all of a sudden the thing went off and, and that was it. And it was an Amber Alert. I saw it. I retweeted it without thinking, thinking because it didn't really, the first one that I read didn't say anything. It just said nine-year-old boy retweeted. I went to sleep, woke up to the madness and realizing that he was on the autism spectrum and then reading what she said. And I don't know about you, but the second I read what she said, mm-hmm. I knew it was a lie. Mentira. I mean, for sure. And I thought if anything, I knew exactly, unfortunately, I, I knew exactly what happened. But I, the difference is that I thought maybe she hired someone to kill the boy and something like that. Um, never thinking that this was not that one is better than the other. And we're going to be saying that all day, all day today. But, but that was my initial thought. And of course, everyone's worried and everyone's like looking for the car and all this stuff. And then shortly after that, I think so many of us saw through her story. I mean, whether that's relevant to our conversation right now, I just used to make conversation. People saw you through her story because she had to add some key Mm-hmm. you know quote unquote negative terms like oh there were drogas yes. you know, drugs yes. and drugs and you know, they were black which is and... something that we definitely no one needs to yeah. add that to any story no so it's frustrating on another yet another level of course um I don't know it's let's I... let's talk let's discuss yeah let's just <laughs> let's, let's just, just keep the conversation going this is a tough one keep it why did this happen how could a parent do this to his or her own child? Where are there warning signs? What can be done to help parents who are in danger to their ASD children when they reach this point of desperation? Who can they reach out to for help if friends and family aren't the option? What can we do, most importantly, to prevent this from ever, ever, ever happening again? Clearly, there's a lot to unpack. We'd like to first preface this by saying we're not doctors not psychologists, thank goodness, not attorneys, not investigators. This is simply the opinion of two moms with teen children on the autism spectrum. It's almost impossible to shed light on this because it's such an extreme case of the unimaginable. But we will do our best. Please show us some patience. 
This is for our ASD community and even those not in our world who wish to learn more. Filicide is the legal term for the killing of one's son or daughter. This isn't the first time this has happened, unfortunately. It's happened before even with parents who were overwhelmed with their typical children without any other stressors. According to the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, in the past five years, over 600 people with disabilities have been murdered by their parents, relatives, or caregivers. There has been, as one can imagine, endless heated conversations on social media over this case. On the one hand, everyone wants to see justice served for this innocent child who suffered greatly, obviously, such a needless, cruel, evil thing to do to someone, and even worse, as a mother. On the other, parents who of course also condemn this, but who also believe she reached the end of her rope with her situation. Her actions were despicable, yes, but not everyone can handle the intensity autism or a disability can bring to a family. And so the community is angry, heartbroken, exasperated, and grieving profusely. And also a little divided right now, I would say. Yeah, definitely, definitely divided. Mm Mm-hmm. That said, to blindly wave this away by talking about how we could never do this or she would never do that or he could never do this, it's just plain irresponsible. Could we ever do this? No, but not everyone has the same life, morals, background, situation, and tolerance. If we ignore that the potential is there for others to lose their minds, then we're not helping anyone. What good does it do to point a finger at others without offering valuable help to those who need it? A woman who, by all accounts, was a loving and dedicated mother for years, woke up one day and decided and insisted in doing this? Something doesn't add up. What went terribly wrong? Which brings us to the big question. What is it about autism? Why is it so hard? Depends on the individual situation. Again, it's just not an excuse. It really, really isn't. We cannot, 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 cannot excuse this because it's just not okay. It cannot be normalized. But if we're going to make a change, we need to get to the root of the problem, the cause. Here's some background on possible scenarios that could have potentially triggered this. To begin, one pattern, I told you this the other day, I noticed lately, is the use by all autism parents, ourselves included, of the it. It is so hard. You don't understand it unless you've walked in our shoes. It takes a village. Well, what is it exactly? It dawned on me that by continuing to use the use of it, outsiders will continue to just nod, feel bad that we feel bad, but naturally grasp what everyone is so upset about. What is it? We know that autism is a spectrum. We know it affects every single person differently. Some just a little. Some, a whole lot. According to the CDC, approximately 1 in 59 children now have autism spectrum disorders. One third, about 31% of children with autism, exhibit a significant intellectual disability. And more than half of children with autism have significant or borderline intellectual disability. Severely uh, disabling autism using co-occurring intellectual disability as a proxy seems to affect 30 to 50% of the autism population. Looking from an angle of the population that is minimally verbal, it is estimated that 30% of youth with autism fall into that category. Core autism and related symptoms are typically more severe in these minimally verbal individuals, and they often exhibit challenging behaviors. What does nonverbal severe autism look like? 
living without the ability to express yourself has got to be exasperating. Some children ultimately learn to communicate using sign language, packs, an augmentative device, or a combination of all. Using those methods, some can excel. Some even end up writing memoirs and expressing themselves. On the other extreme, there are the individuals who do not. Unable to communicate, perhaps express pain or discomfort, a severely affected individual might self-injure by hitting his head against surfaces, even glass, or even show aggressive towards loved ones. He might warrant the use of protective helmets and need to be knowledgeably restrained in order to protect him or herself or others around him. However controversial that may be, rules and guidelines do exist for it. It can begin with a meltdown when overwhelmed or overstimulated. It's beyond a toddler tantrum as we've experienced when it's happening to a 10 or 20 year old. An individual might bite himself or others or punch or throw objects It can be too sensory seek to communicate or who knows what. And whatever the reason is, it's not the point today, but we do need to establish that it happens. It. These are all tough things to talk about. So tough. But they're all part of the it, this mysterious it. Brushing teeth, bathing, washing hands, proper bathroom hygiene before and after urine and stool, like wiping. These are all things an individual might need assistance with. To use the bathroom, someone might not know how or when to even unclothe themselves and do it in public. The delicate and somewhat taboo topic of masturbation. Imagine a 13-year-old who doesn't understand boundaries and begins innocently doing so in public. At Publix or at the mall. What could possibly go wrong with that? Hmm. And you know, it's not, again, it's not that any of this warrants murder. Right. But we are just trying to establish a background or a frame of mind of where a parent could start feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Defining the it. There's, there's Defining the too it. much generality out there, even for uh, a friend or, you know, a loved one to just say, I, I see you're going through this. And there, there, there are a lot of pronouns yeah. that are not naming. What is it? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. We have mentioned this often on the podcast, a teen or adult who still plays with baby toys, watches baby Einstein or the Wiggles. It's not as easy as taking it away or forcing them to watch appropriate material. Some cannot grasp the concept, no matter how hard you try to explain or implement it. An inability to express feelings, going through a lifetime of not hearing your son or daughter's voice. It must be excruciating. You can't just make them change a channel and then just say, why don't you talk and make them? Nope. Okay, not just happening. Checking. It's important to define some of those stressors because every crime seems to involve the most severe. A parent dealing with her autistic child who is off to college soon is not dealing with the same thing a parent who is hiding out in her room waiting for her teen's violent outburst to pass. Everything mentioned before is only a small part of things those on the severe end of the spectrum and their parents go through. The majority of parents can and do deal with this without resorting to murder. Why can't others? What is the difference? The simple truth is that not everyone can cope the same way. Just using suicide as an example, not everyone committing suicide did so because they did not have a support system in place. I I know this for a fact. I have a friend this happened to recently and they leave loved ones behind, puzzled, wondering for eternity 
what else? What else can we have done to help him? And unfortunately, this too is similar. Some parents are more vulnerable than others. A parent may become depressed, feel alone, helpless, unable to cope, perhaps even be on the receiving end of the hitting. Mm. A parent may be dealing with domestic abuse, financial issues, drug use, or even drug side effects in addition to the autism, along with all the baggage we humans carry and collect throughout our lives. Perhaps law enforcement has had to intervene as in a case of extreme self-injurious behaviors. If a child is physically suffering with self-inflicted lesions and or bleeding daily, maybe in agony over severe gastrointestinal pain, a parent might want to relieve him of that and feel helpless if he runs into a wall with treatment options. Still, should parents be excused for killing their disabled child? Shouldn't they still be treated the same way anyone else who kills does? Look. I try to always find the middle ground, the fair answer, the one where all the sides have been exhausted. You know, that's just the way I am. But although I know what the cause could have maybe been, I still can't offer a pass. I just, I can't. Like, I keep going back and forth. Accidentally watching the video of the first drowning attempt sickened me to no end. I wanted to throw up, okay? This wasn't a mercy killing, not the shoving, not the child screaming and her running away, not an attempt of it the second time after she had a chance to change her mind. How do you, how do you look at the child screaming in the water and then just keep running? Mm. If she had a temporary mental lapse, I doubt it. But if she did, how do you live with yourself? Do the screams not haunt you? How do you go on living? Has she snapped out of it? I can't. Just so many questions. And how do you go from being that mom who... I mean, a child, you know, hiccups or burps and you're like, what, what, what? you know, you're, right. you're so on your child when your child is so needy. You're always there to meet that need. And how do you go from, you know, being that child's lifeline to being that child's killer? Yeah. Can we use that word? Yes, we can. Okay. We just did. Yes, we can. While I was searching, I found a very interesting document, Reading the Anti-Filicide Toolkit by the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network has been really helpful, believe it or not. It's not one I usually side with, but hey, it's a new day, right? <laughs> and we will add, by the way, links to all everything that we're mentioning, all the statistics and everything in our show notes um, for reference. For sure. A little background. This is an organization I, as I said, don't side with, mostly because of their failure to include those in need of the most support when advocating. For example, they insist we consult those on the spectrum for their opinion. While I do think that's great and they should be included, what about the severely affected? Like we go back to that. How are they all about inclusion but not include all? Wait, they can't self-advocate? No. <laughs> no. Oh, wait, they can't talk. No, they can't speak. Yeah. The million-dollar question we always ask. I think from episode one, we've been asking this damn question. We always talk about those who are able to be independent. We talk about everything here, about job security and all these potential um, things for the kids' futures. But how often do they reference those in need, uh, those who need them the most? How exactly do you consult the opinion of a severe child if he isn't even able to tell you his very own name, for example? I had been reading their call to action to not be portrayed as a burden 
to families. My initial knee-jerk reaction is to say I would do anything for my child regardless of what is needed. So it is not a burden, but it, there's that it again, is insanely difficult. By not talking about it, you minimize, downplay, and belittle the hardships. We do, however, agree with their very helpful key points. There you go. All right. (laughs) Typically, when a child without a disability is murdered by his or her parents, everyone stands united in condemnation. No one attempts to understand, justify, or explain the murder. No one expresses sympathy for the murderer. No one argues that every parent has had moments or thoughts like that. No one understands. No one suggests that if the child had been easier, the family had been had been given more support, that this could have been avoided. The crime is punished harshly, swiftly, and the victim is remembered and mourned. When someone with a disability is murdered by his or her parents, the opposite happens. On the topic of families not receiving enough services, while this is true, most, and we quote, most high-profile cases have occurred in upper-middle-class communities and have been committed by parents who either refuse services or had more family services than is typical, suggesting that murders could be prevented with more funding holds people with disabilities hostage. Give us what we want or the kid gets it. Yep. I couldn't believe when I read that. I was like, wow, but true. Me you know, not the being way they able, phrased it. Sure. Great. Me not being able to watch that video. Um, I'm having a hard time reading this toolkit called action um, was a real eye opener. Really helped me um, realize there aren't gray areas yeah. here. Filicide is not a symptom of mental illness. Filicide indicates a decision to murder. These decisions are deliberate and often premeditated for days or weeks. Did not know that. Yeah. Did not know that. Well, then you haven't been into her Instagram either. Don't. Remember when I was sending you all those? Oh, yes. <laughs> and you're like, stop. I'm like, yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I oh, said, yeah. stop, stop. We need to look at pictures I of know. puppies for a while. I know. But that's but all that's doing is statue. shutting our eyes, looking away. And right. that's not what this is about. Right. When we're talking about cases where people with disabilities are murdered by parents, invoking mental illness is just a way of blaming one group of people with disabilities for the murders of other people with disabilities and shifting the blame away from the person who is actually responsible. The murderer. murderer. Yep. Bren? What? I, <laughs> I think this demands a DB, a very special disorderly blondes, call to action. We get that some of us are barely at the awareness stage, and that's probably the reason why we do this podcast. Yeah. But ain't nobody got time for that. Nope. Let's we get to are going to make some suggestions. Bren, what do you think? Okay. So what we're offering here is a lifeline, a way to put all things into perspective at a time when lines are blurred and it's hard to see things clearly and by putting emotions aside. Um... Several local groups have started an aggressive campaign to increase the visibility and access to support of support groups for parents. Very proud of them. Yeah. Friendship. Um, friendship circle. I was going to say cafe. <laughs> friendship circle. Friendship Jafco. circle. Jafco. Yes. Um, maybe it's for a much needed mental break for parenting. You can't pour from an empty cup. 
So fill that cup and find the nearest outlet. Anything from my night out, a Zoom virtual night in, texting a friend, anything that can help you find that breather. You didn't mention listening to podcasts. Listen to our podcast, please. (laughs) Really. No, really. I mean, your needs as a parent might be more intense and immediate. And you know, this is a big one for me because um, I was listening to one of the parent support groups um, this week and, and it was really nice and friendly and all the parents were just patting themselves on the back and they were suggesting a lot of self-help things they could do like coloring or some activity with a glitter bottle and all I was thinking was if I was considering injuring or hurting my child and I come on to the support group and they're telling me to go color yeah I would tell them I mean, I would, I would where just to put their crayons, you know what for I, starters. I mean, I would, yeah, yeah, that's where you could stick your crayon, but, but you just leave the meeting and then you d- were not helped. So that's to say that once, what is one size doesn't fit one all. One size does not fit all. So I love that there's talk of a 24 seven hotline for parents with emergency needs. Mm-hmm. And this is a great idea. Not only, I, I also think, um, an idea of having maybe different, um, talking about schedule. So like every Friday at five or whatever, have on the schedule a talk or a support group that is for emergency or have it daily or offer it to something. Like the hotline is a great idea because it could be any time. I can't wait till Friday. I have an emergency. I'm crying. I'm depressed. I'm going through all this stuff. And then I'm going to go on and talk to me about coloring. Right. No. Right. So this hotline is genius. But we can talk about it next Tuesday. Yeah. Doesn't work. Come back next Tuesday. Several organizations are bringing back their respite care earlier and creating the or creating a program where it did not yet exist. I didn't know that Miami or so we heard has no respite. How is that I possible? I assume that Miami was just on the, you know, cutting edge of that just just because of, you know, yeah. population. Correct me if I'm wrong. And if somebody knows of one, send it in. Let us know if there's respite care in Miami. We just heard that there does not exist. Right. Um, change the conversation. Use the victim's name and not that of the murderer. Don't normalize a parent killing a child. If you normalize it and then another parent is listening to it, it's like, oh, well, I could do it and I could get away with it or, or it will be minimized or they'll feel pity for me and then a parent might be more inclined to do it. Don't normalize that. And something I had a really hard time reading but I, I forced myself was when um, the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network you know, published this toolkit, they talked about copycat murders. Right. And, and, and talked about it at length. Yeah. So we don't forget. And, and a call to the media also to choose your terms carefully. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another episode, but, um, choose your terms carefully, choose your words carefully. And, and copycatting is a thing. It's a thing. Oh, that parent did that. Um, because of X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. I feel X, Y, and Z, and they got off because they thought that they had a good reason. So why shouldn't I get away with it right. too? A slap on the wrist because poor mom. <sighs> right. And that's why reading this toolkit opened my eyes a little bit more. Like, no, it's not okay. Yeah. You know, this was a replacement for watching the video for me, which I'm sure oh, I will watch the video. You're going to have to. Yeah. Um, advertise, um, advertising signs, uh, sorry, advertise signs to look for like a doctor's offices, teachers, therapists, just like they report potential child abuse, right? If they're, right. if they're looking and they see maybe a parent's not engaged, right. uh, where is that parent? Maybe accountability to, you know, the In parent. the same way a doctor will look at for milestones and children, look right. for warning signs or just take the four seconds, the four seconds to say, how you doing mom 
or dad. Right. Because I'm telling you, that's all a doctor would have had to say to me. Yeah. And I would just fall apart, that fall apart right there. Yeah. So I, I think that's important. That's true. If there's a like, consistent, something like an appointment or anything that, where there's follow-up. There's follow-up. Um, and of the parents' mental health as well, as there should be. Right. Like re-evals. Add to a re-eval. Yeah. Or a speech re-eval. Uh, partner with fire, um, partner with fire and police drop offs, just like you can drop off a baby safely. Something similar could work, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure the police and fire departments will hate us for saying this, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's better than the alternative, right? Right. right. And, and th- for those of you who say, okay, well then what? Well, at least the child is alive, right? And then you could take it from there. And then parent mentors, a buddy system, just like AA or just like something like that. Um, maybe a center could have a rotating, you know, some volunteer, someone is available from eight to two the other person is available from two to six or whatever it is um i suck at math but i just gave somebody more work you're asking me (laughs) Um, but you know what i mean so so someone that is always available every center like have a call center maybe something like that you know i think we're um extremely spoiled bren because you know we've known each other for such a long time and and we finish each other's sentences and and i can't imagine you not my life and when people say oh it's so great i'm like yeah just because we are such a natural fit and always have been, end of story. But we get comments all the time. Yeah, we do. We have we're like, nobody. Yeah, yeah. Can we be your friend? And yeah. we're, of course, we're like, yeah. yeah. But just to have someone who who even half gets it yeah. is important. That's why I put on there, like, just te- even texting, like being able to text someone. I have to say shout out to my friends who have actually reached out during this whole thing. Right. Even, like, random people I never expected to text me were like, Hey, Brent, how are you doing? And I'm like, good. I'm like, what? What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, I just heard. I just wanted to make sure. Just checking in. How are you dealing? I was like, wow. Like, I want to cry. Like, just thinking about it. That was so nice to like to that this actually triggered someone to, you know, I hate that this is what triggered <laughs> for them to call me. Sure. But they were like, oh, wait, I know someone. I know someone and I wonder how she's doing and dealing with this. Um, and they reached out to me. So that was actually really nice. Yeah. We're spoiled. We are. Finally, something we don't often talk about <laughs> is we need to stop the parent shaming and the sugarcoating. We've discussed this repeatedly on the podcast. Yep. We're committed to discussing the topics and transparency um, is key no matter how tough. If we can agree that autism affects everyone differently, then we can agree that every family has different challenges. If a parent feels a need to vent about her child's hardships, it doesn't mean that parent doesn't love that child. It doesn't mean that that parent is enabling child's behavior. That drives me crazy. Oh my gosh. It drives me up the wall. Yeah. It means that that parent is trying to cope the best she can. And can you please, for one effing second, just let them vent. You don't have to try to fix it. Yes, exactly. Just let them talk. Failing to acknowledge that it's possible to not have it so easy can cause some parents to withdraw and internalize that stress. Conclusion. Killing is never the answer. No one wins. Please, 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 please don't. We'd really love to hear everyone's thoughts and input. Please reach out to us on any of our social media or via email at disorderlyblondes at gmail.com. That's it for today. 
That's it for today. As always, thank you for listening. Please visit us again on our social media and our website, disorderlyblondes.com. We are always here. At least Brenda's on her phone 24-7. If you need a friend, if you need um, anything, screw show notes. (laughs) Just reach out. We will get you the help you need. Thanks again for listening. Mm